Good to see all of you here tonight. Well, we're going to have a powerful time in the presence of the Lord. We already have had a powerful time, and it's about to get even more powerfuler. Because Pastor Christian Lee is about to bring a word, so get ready for the glory. Pastor Christian Lee. Let's kind of see through stuff. Let's keep it on. Good evening, everyone. I just want to say what a joy it is for me to come and preach the word here at Living Hope tonight. You guys have an amazing uh, spiritual mother and father here in this house. Pastors Benjamin and Sonny, they just continually shepherd this house, not only in the natural, but they do it supernaturally. Because when you're going through some stuff, you don't even share with them, and they, they just know. God puts it on their hearts. And what takes maybe months of counseling, they're able to shift you out because you're in covenant relationship with them. And when, when they speak, it's like the word of God, the voice of God thundering through your soul and setting you free from the lies of the enemy. Where many people who are not committed to a local church, when they struggle with certain deceptions and lies, it takes months of counseling, years of counseling. I know a young girl back in Seoul right now. She was heavily involved with drugs, uh, dating drug dealers, uh, just overdosing a lot on drugs. And in Seoul, you'll be surprised. uh, There are a lot of drugs. Young people don't do too much drugs, but there are some drugs that goes on. And because she had been involved with so many shameful things and so much drug abuse in her life, when she, uh, she had hit uh, suicidal points and she tried to commit suicide, she was cutting herself, things like that, and she was diagnosed with clinical depression. And her family is a very wealthy family, and so they tried their best to use money to try to get her healed. And no matter how much doctors try to help her out with medication and counselors try to counsel her, she was not getting like even a little bit better. And she was, she was struggling. And then around February, she came out to New Philly for the first time. And when she came out to our church, she said, you know, she wasn't used to everyone lifting their hands and people actually singing with all their heart. And she wasn't used to all that kind of environment. But when she saw some of the things at New Philly, even though she wasn't used to it, she was attracted to it. Something was pulling her near. And so she kept coming out, even though she was a little uncomfortable. And she would sit there, and she would leave the service early, but she would just continue to come out. And then uh, she actually is uh, at the seminary that I study at. So I started seeing her in the hallways. And so she came up to me one day, and she was like, Hey, Pastor Christian, I've been coming out to New Philly. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I saw you. I saw you when I was preaching. How you been? How is the Lord blessing you? And she said, Let me tell you right now. By coming to New Philly, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. She had been attending seminary, and she wasn't even a Christian yet. But the reason she enrolled was because her parents were so desperate. They thought this would be one solution while she gets counseling to go and study uh, Christian counseling while she's getting counseling (laughs) at the seminary. And she said that through coming to New Philly, she experienced Jesus like in a personal way for the first time. And she realized that Christianity is more than just attending church. And shortly after that, 
she took our membership class because um, our leaders, we, she just got involved with a small group and we're just praying for her. We're sharing life with her. And all of a sudden she said, she started feeling joy for the first time in her life where her life was just full of depression. Everything was black and white because of the medication. She started to feel joy and she started to feel life for the first time. But this is the sinker. This is the uh, sinker, sinker. What is that? That's a make up a word. This is the cincher, kicker, the ender, the killer. You know, this is what this is what did it. The finish, that completed it, was she took uh, our membership class and came into covenant with New Philly and started to honor me as her pastor and as her spiritual father. Now this is where it's really cool. Because although she, was feel, she became a Christian and she started feeling joy in life for the first time in life, she was still struggling with going back and forth. Because you guys know how it is, yeah. right? When you've struggled with depression that long, it's like a puppy that keeps chasing you home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No matter how much you want to chase that puppy away, it looks cute to you. Yeah. And so you just kind of let it follow you around. And you start petting it and all the next thing you know it's licking you and then you, you're holding that puppy again. Yeah. And, and she kept going back and forth, back and forth. And so she would get her friends at the seminary to pray for her, nothing. Her classmates, nothing. And during my finals time, I was busy. I mean, I, was, I, was, I did not want to stop in the hallway to talk to anybody. I just wanted to finish my studies and go and lead the church. That's my full-time job is to lead the church. But I'm also pretty much full-time at the seminary. And she grabbed me during finals time, and she just started pouring out her heart and saying, I'm still struggling with these things. And you know what? I just, I just stretched forth my hand. I said, let me just pray for you. I just prayed a short prayer. And I said, amen. And when she opened her eyes, she said, wow. It lifted. Like the demonic oppression she felt, it lifted. And I said, you know what? I don't want to keep dealing with it. This is permanent. It's not going to come back. If it co- tries to come back, you tell them your spiritual father said it's not coming back. And I just, I, just, I just counseled her that way. I just prayed for her that way. And she has experienced permanent breakthrough. Amen. Permanent breakthrough. And so she, I, I don't know what happened with her medication, but she's in the process of clearly communicating to her doctors and to her parents that she doesn't need that stuff anymore. Amen. So, I mean, that's powerful. Yeah. And you guys have a powerful spiritual mother and father here. Yeah. And when you, when you stay in covenant relationship, with the anointed, set man of God, a person that God has anointed and gifted and appointed to be a spiritual authority in your life, if you will learn to humble yourself and submit to that man, and in this case, you got the benefit of both a mother and father. You submit to them as one person, as one leader. You submit to their leadership. And and things that other people struggle with for years and months, you can get set free from in a word. You know, at New Philly, we used to have a very comprehensive healing deliverance ministry. And so, you know, if you dealt with some kind of trauma, you were sexually abused as a child, which unfortunately is quite common. We'd say about half the girls that come to New Philly, you know, they've experienced some kind of sexual abuse as a child. Uh, When we hear that you have that in your life, we, you know, we set you up on a two-hour healing and deliverance session, three-hour healing deliverance session. But when we started learning about sonship and we started to covenant with our church members in the spirit of sonship, something powerful started happening. 
people that normally would have needed two, three hours of healing deliverance session, you know, we would just speak forth a word. And they would, they would experience freedom. They might struggle a little bit, but they would experience a permanent freedom. That's powerful. The reason why a man of God's word isn't powerful in your life is because you're not submitting and committing to that word. It is the very word of God that is being taught through that, that, that pastor's mouth. But if you will not honor it as the word of God that it is, the oracle of God that is coming into your life, the prophetic word that is speaking into your situation, if you don't receive it and honor it that way and you don't apply it that way, you can go to as many conferences as you want. You could be a, a conference junkie. You know, go to Passion Conference with Louis Giglio. Then go to One Thing with IHOP. Then go up to Redding, California for, for Bethel. Go down to Joe Osteen's church. John Piper's church. I don't know. Whoever, whoever you like. You can go to all those conferences. And you won't experience maturity and breakthrough. Like you would by submitting to a Korean-American pastor who doesn't have a seminary degree or an ordination who sounds mad ghetto is very offensive is not politically correct not very sensitive to people's feelings you'll be surprised you can go to all them conferences and you just come and submit and you honor you honor a Korean-American pastor like that he's not that perfect but he speaks and boom you get set free you experience maturity and breakthrough we got to stop this celebrity Christianity. That's not how the kingdom works. That's not how the apostle Paul described his ministry. He he was gifted for sure. But a lot of times he boasted in his weaknesses. Because he realized it is in his weaknesses and his weak moments that God showed up the most powerfully. And he said, I did not come to you with wise and persuasive words. You know, if you look at his ministry fruit, you would think he was a powerful speaker. But this much we know, when he went to the city of Corinth, he was not a powerful speaker. Maybe he was stuttering. Maybe he forgot his, uh, uh, he didn't have his iPad with him. He didn't have his sermon notes in front of him. He didn't come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. What we need to see in the church or not, it's not more of celebrity Christianity. Yeah. Now, I believe, now don't get me wrong. I believe that if God exalts a person, right, and they have the character to uphold that kind of authority and that kind of influence, I celebrate it. Yeah. I celebrate it. Don't, I don't believe in like, oh, you humble yourself. You know, I'm gonna sit down. I'm not going to let you preach anymore. <laughs> you know, if you come to New Philly, I celebrate young people, even young people that are like 24, 25. There's an anointing on them. And they've been submitting, and they're going through, through their seasons of serving and submission. They got that character. You know, like, like my, my spiritual son, Marcus. He's, a, he's an African-American gentleman from, uh, from North Carolina. He grew up poor. He, grew up, he actually had a period of time when he was homeless. You know that Will Smith movie? What's that called? Pursuit of Happiness. That was him with his mom and his two siblings. His two half-sister uh, and brother, they were living on the streets. They were living in shelters, you know? But Marcus, God's put an anointing and calling on his life. Amen. 
And he's been stewarding the word of God. He's been stewarded and he's been growing in his character. And so as he preaches, I celebrate him. I'm his biggest fan. You know, I want him to go through to through the nations and go to the nations. You might have met another one of my um, disciples, my spiritual daughter, Pastor Myung-ho. She came through Myung-ho Choi. She's a Korean from Busan. She didn't speak any English. When I first met her five years ago, I didn't know she spoke. A lot of times she was so intimidated by all the Korean Americans, she would just stay quiet. But let me tell you, she started learning how to speak English. And, she, and unfortunately, she did not learn how to speak proper English. She kept, she kept, I guess, interpreting the English that came out of my preaching to be proper English. And so she speaks with a very Ebonics type, you know. Anyway, you may, you may have met her. And, you know, and, and she's young. She's really young. She went straight from undergrad to seminary. Three years, graduated, got ordained. She's ordained. I'm not. But praise the Lord that, that she knows who God has appointed to be her lead pastor. But, when, when, you know, I sent her down to Melbourne, Australia in the November because I couldn't go. So I sent her down there. And she did an amazing job. She, she went and saw kangaroos. And they went to the retreat and just picked people out and prophesied over them powerfully. You know, and I celebrate that. How do I get off on that tangent? What was I talking about before that? Covenant, submission. Come on, that's powerful stuff. That's powerful stuff. Apostle Paul, that's what I was talking about. Apostle Paul, it's not clear whether he had a powerful speaking skill or gift. But what we are sure of is he depended on the power of the Holy Spirit, on the grace of God, to plant his churches and to build his churches. That's what we need back in Christianity. Don't give me this resume Christianity stuff. I'm tired of seeing, at least in the Korean American church, I don't know what's been going on in uh, black Pentecostal churches or in white churches. I don't know what's going on, but I know about the Korean American church. When they need a new pastor, they look through resumes. They look through resumes. And there's nothing wrong with that. If they don't know nobody, I guess you got to start somewhere, right? But even when they know some people and they, need, they see some young people coming up and they, they can train up and they could maybe put up a scholarship for their seminary or something and then help raise them up. Instead of doing that, they just go through the shortcut. Look through some resumes. This person graduated from uh, Harvard Divinity. You know, not knowing that, you know, Harvard Divinity is a little bit liberal. Or, or Princeton Seminary. You know, Korean, Koreans are all about Princeton Seminary. But they, little do they know, Princeton Seminary is really liberal. Now, we got some good, good pastors coming out of Princeton still. Yeah. All right, but, but really liberal. And they're just going through resumes. Yeah. That needs to stop. Amen. We need thinking, praying people yeah. that will seek the face of God. Yeah. Say, God, we got a vacancy here in our youth group. We got a vacancy here in our English ministry. Who do you want to place right. and appoint as the leader, as the pastor for this season? Yeah. We need people who pray. Not look through resumes. That's nothing to do with my message. I just felt the anointing on that, so I just went with it. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. You guys have an amazing uh, spiritual mother and father. That's what I really wanted to say. (laughs) There's a powerful ministry here. It's a powerful ministry. Exodus 3, verse 15. I'm going to read it in the NIV. Most people here have a new king. New King James. 
All right, I'm going to read it in the NIV, just in case most of y'all have the NIV. Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. God said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Amen. Our God is a multi-generational God. Amen? Amen. God's not interested in just being your God. He wants you to pray that he will be the Lord over your parents, the God of your parents, your grandparents, your children, your future children. God is a multi-generational God. And this is why scripture will oftentimes refer to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why did the, the Hebrews keep doing that? Why not just refer to him as the God of Abraham? Why God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I want you to think about that question because I believe that I'm going to try to release that tension and, and try to address that through my message today. I believe there's a mystery and a, and a revelation locked in why the Jews oftentimes called God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The multi-generational God. So, the way I'm going to break this down for you today is, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about the multi-generational God. I'm going to talk about the God of Abraham first. You see, the first generation is uh, of Abraham, because Abraham uh, gets the promise of God. God tells him to look up at the stars and say, can you count them? so shall your offspring be. Like the sand on the seashore, so shall your offspring be. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And at this time, Abraham was an old man. He's an old man and he did not have any children and his wife did not have any children. And she was barren. And she was, she was like about 90. And God promises him, you're going to have a child. And through this child, I'm going to fulfill the promise that I've given to you. And so the first generation of Abraham is represented by his son, Isaac. Everybody say Isaac. Isaac. See, Abraham believed the promises of God, and he nurtured the big dream that God put on his heart, that he will be a father to many. And then as Abraham believed God's promise, God blessed him with his son, Isaac. So Abraham went from having no sons to having one son. The second generation is represented by Jacob and Esau. When it came for Isaac to have children, he didn't just have one son. Isaac received twins. So this, the second generation is represented by Jacob and Esau. And I believe this, this represents the double portion. Whenever one generation can pass down what they have acquired and learned to the next generation, that next generation is going to start off much better than where the first generation started off. See, when Abraham started off, he didn't know nothing about God. And he passed down what he knew to Isaac. And then when Jacob and Esau were born, Isaac passed down what he learned from Abraham and what he learned through his life, and he passed it down to to his two sons. Jacob and Esau represents the second generation 
And I believe this talks about the double portion. So even if you look in the uh, prophet Elijah's ministry, you have Elijah, he's got this powerful anointing. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's making food come out of uh, nothing in a time of famine. Elijah is doing all these signs and miracles. And then what happens is when his time came for him to ascend to heaven, he had a spiritual son. How do we know this? It's because Elisha called Elijah, my father, my father. That was like his spiritual son. Now, I don't know how good of a spiritual father Elijah was. I don't know if he was like Pastor Benjamin and giving Elisha hugs and stuff. It looked like Elijah was actually quite annoyed and telling Elisha to go away. But Elisha held on. And he said, if, I, if I'm supposed to continue this ministry, I need the anointing that you're carrying. I want, I got to have it. And not only did he say, I got to have it. He said, I got to have a double portion of it. Don't let, don't, let, don't let me repeat what you did during your ministry. Let me double it. And God honored that request. Because when Elijah was taken up, the mantle of Elijah fell. Elisha picked it up, took it upon himself. And, he, and, and if you look at the recorded miracles in Elisha's ministry, he did double. Double of everything Elijah did. Some people say, oh, no, he only raised one person from the dead. No, no, no. When Elijah was dead and he was buried in this cavern, in this cave, one time a, a band of raiders, they threw a dead body into this cave, and when the dead body came in contact with Elisha's bones, the dead man came to life. So there you go. Double of everything Elijah did, Elisha did, because he got the double portion. He was representing the second generation. So we see this from Isaac to Jacob and Esau. Then we get to the third generation. The promise, because of God's election, which is another issue altogether, went through Jacob. Okay? And as it went through Jacob, Jacob had sons as well. But Jacob didn't have one. He didn't have two. Now, I, I think he intended to just have maybe three. Two or three at most. Okay? Because if you know the story of Jacob, he had the hots for Rachel. Rachel was looking good. She was fine. But then her her older sister Leah had weak eyes, which is a Hebrew nice way of saying she was was not so pretty. And and these two sisters got into this big old, you know, there's a dysfunctional family, right? You think your family's dysfunctional? Uh, Look at what happened with uh, Rachel and Leah. They got into a competition. They got into a baby competition. That's crazy. (laughs) Jacob got tricked into marrying Leah. And then when he took them as wives and started to go off on his own and and start his own family. Oh, before he started his own family. They got into a little baby competition. And so Leah started, she was winning. She was winning by far. (laughs) Rachel couldn't have no children. So Rachel was like, you know what? I'm bringing my maidservant. I, I want you to have children through her. And Jacob's like, well, wait on, hold on. I don't know if I'm down with this. But Rachel was like, no, I need to win. I need you to give me some children. So Jacob said, all right, I will, I will, I will be godly. <laughs> I will honor your request. I don't know what he said, but Jacob slept with a maidservant. And he had children through a maidservant. Then, then Leah's like, all right, well, I got a maidservant. Let me get in on that too. 
Anyway, it's really dysfunctional. But what ended up happening was Jacob had 12 sons. These 12 sons of Jacob, Jacob, he has an, another name, nickname is Israel. These 12 sons of Israel represents the third generation. So check this out. Abraham had one son. Isaac had two. But Jacob had 12. That's crazy. It should go from like, you know, logically, Abraham had maybe one son, Isaac, two, Jacob, four. Oh, that's still impressive. Let's double it. Abraham saw addition. Isaac saw a doubling. But Jacob saw a multiplication. This is what takes place in the third generation. When you can take the things of God and pass it down to one generation. And then that generation stewards those things of God. And passes that down to the third generation. What you will see happening in the third generation is not just addition, people being added to the kingdom through evangelism and missions. You'll see multiplication. Thousands and multitudes being evangelized, converted, and being discipled through your ministry. This can apply to both a ministry context or even a business context. You know, when you see really successful businesses... There are two kinds of successful businesses. There are successful businesses that rise up quickly, and then they file for bankruptcy. And then there are other companies that rise up slowly, and then they continue to pass it down from one generation to another. I believe uh, GE is like one of those companies. And uh, I believe uh, Apple is also one of those companies. I, I, I really hope and believe that Apple will continue to do well. As Steve Jobs, you know, his kind, of, uh, his kind of business entrepreneurial son was, you know, Tim Cook. So he's giving it to uh, Tim Cook, and he's trying his best right now. And hopefully he has, to, he has the sense to raise up somebody else to succeed him. Because, yeah. you know, where it took many, many decades before Steve Jobs had to retire or when, when, he, uh, when he passed. Or for Tim Cook, it's not as long, you know what I mean? Yeah. So he has to continue to raise up, go from generation to generation. But it applies both to the ministry context and to the business context. When you go to the third generation, you're not talking about addition no more. You're talking about multiplication. You know, I believe there are some companies or some ministries, they're experiencing multiplication, like this quick rise in the first generation. But if you really study those ministries, very few of them will survive that generation. When you experience success that quickly... Oftentimes, the character needed to sustain that success and to steward that success is lacking. And without that character and accountability, oftentimes there will be some sexual scandal, some financial embezzlement. And then then that ministry just comes crumbling down. But for ministries that may start out slow, but they build with substance. They build on the word of God. They build on both the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. On the ministry of Christ and the character of Christ. Ministries that build and they build and they build for the long run. Mm -hmm. With a concept of spiritual sonship. 
a multi-generational blessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ministries that do that, man, it may not look impressive in the beginning. Yeah. But in the long run, yeah. it grows. Yeah. It multiplies. Yeah. And just as Abraham saw multiplication in his third generation, I believe God desires to see churches experience this multiplication. Yeah. But churches, they desire the success without the sonship. They just want success without that multi-generational inheritance, without that submission, the trust. They want the success without all those things. You know, too many pastors, they're not willing to walk in the spirit of sonship these days. And they lack the patience to forgive and overlook the hurts and misunderstandings they've had with the previous pastor. They are disillusioned, and they tend to start their own independent ministries apart from any kind of covering or covenant relationship with the spiritual authority. And because they sever themselves from the previous generations, they orphan themselves, and they forfeit their inheritance. See, God God loves giving the inheritance. Even in the story, the parable of the prodigal son, even though that prodigal son was just this rude, prideful, immoral son and asked the father for his his inheritance in a rude way, the father still gave it. Because the father loves to release the inheritance to his sons. He loves to give it to his people. But when you separate yourselves from the previous generations... And all you do is criticize and you refuse to honor. You refuse to humble yourselves and listen and learn from them. Yeah, maybe you can see all of their flaws. You can see all of their mistakes. But can you, can you, do you have the the character? Do you have the faith to see the gold that they're carrying as well? God wants to give you that gold. God wants to give you the things that they've been carrying and give it to you as an inheritance. But too many pastors, they sever themselves and they orphan themselves from these things because they think it will be easier just to start anew. What they don't know is they have to work 10 times, 100 times harder to learn and discover the same lessons that a spiritual son easily receives through a covenant father-son relationship. I should know. I was one of those pastors. (laughs) You know, when I took over New Philly, God's grace was being poured out. Holy Spirit started getting poured out. But I must admit, my first year when I was New Philly, pastor of New Philly, we shrank. I pride myself in that. Because I believe that, you know, whenever you take over and you transition into a new ministry, sometimes you need, some people need to go. The old has gone. The new has come. The old needs to go. And so that first year, I believe it was, it was like, you know, God was doing a little spring cleaning. God was taking out some of the old wineskin hearts and stuff like that, right? I didn't kick them out, though. I didn't kick them out. You can, you can take my word at that. I pray for them. I bless them. And God opened up doors for them or God moved upon their own hearts to make the independent decision to go. And when they said, I, I, I want to go to another church, I said, God bless you. And I didn't fight that. I was like, that's the word of the Lord. You need you need to just follow, obey the Lord. Now, I didn't say all that, but... But anyway, the first year, we shrank. We shrank. We were, we were, we were like uh, 800 people. 
We shrank down to like 75, 80. If you look at our attendance, you know, we shrank. But during that second year, man, we start, I started really preaching and building up and putting down structure, membership, leadership. And our church started to really grow. It was a slow growth. But there was a, there was a substance to that growth. Yeah, 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 yeah. And young people, they were really committing and submitting their lives to the word of God. They weren't doing any lip service anymore. They were really living their lives out, yeah. applying the word of God to their lives. Yeah. So it was, it was really good. It was, it was powerful fruit. And when I started seeing that fruit and when I would pray for young people at the altar, people get messed up, people crying, you know, I just say, fire. <laughs> people crying all the time. And I was like, wow, this is powerful. And then I said to myself, a lot of these old heads that have been in ministry and a lot of these denominational churches, Man, they got it all wrong. They don't know nothing. They just filled with the Pharisaic spirit. I don't need them. I need, I need to raise up a new movement. You know? And, you know, in the beginning, actually, some of the other English ministries in, in Seoul, you know, they started accusing us of being a cult. And you know what? Maybe if I continued on my way, maybe we might have ended up something like a cult. I'm playing that. I would, would have never been called. Or maybe we had the characteristics of a cult sometimes, you know, because I was so uncovered. But I felt like it was just too much trouble to work with them. Too much. I, I didn't feel like there was nothing that I could really learn from them. Nothing I could really receive from the older generation. I didn't, I didn't recognize how the first generation of Korean adults... From, from the Pyongyang revival down to the church, um, church revival during the 70s, when all the mega churches in Korea were birthed, I didn't recognize that there was something I could get from them, I could learn from them, I could receive from them. I didn't humble myself like that. I said, forget them all. I said, forget the Koreans. Forget the white people. Forget everybody. I'm just going to figure it out on my own. All I need is the word of God. Come on, I got the word of God, I got the Holy Spirit, I got the anointing, I didn't need nobody to teach me. <laughs> but man, let me tell you, after like a year, it started getting real hard. I started running out of things to say. <laughs> I'm preaching every week, I'm like, wow, well, what, what? I started like, like taking books and I just like, I would just take the chapter contents and I... I'll, I'll repackage it in my ghetto language, and I'll be like, this is my message today. <laughs> people, were, people were still being blessed, yeah. but I wasn't really receiving it into my own walk. Yeah. I was just looking for content to preach. Yeah. At one point, I think I subscribed to an email list. It was like sermons.com or something like that. <laughs> I didn't use it much because 95% of the sermons were, were not very good. But then uh, in 2009, I started teaching on the spirit of sonship. And when I started teaching on the spirit of sonship, the Holy Spirit put a finger right on my heart. He said, these are your sons and daughters. I said, yeah, these are my sons and daughters. <laughs> yes, Lord, you are a spiritual father to them. Yeah, I got I to gotta function as a spiritual father. Yeah. You need a spiritual father. And I said, Lord. That's not my fault. There's nobody in my life that. <laughs> if you want me to be under a cover, you got, you got to raise them up. 
You know, and I thought about um, some people that I had honored and, and I looked up to, but I didn't feel comfortable in my heart. So, but the Lord kept putting pressing that on my heart, so I just kept praying about it. And in 2010, we had a conference called the Niagara Conference. And through our good brother, Dale, he, I met up with him in the Philippines, and he, and he was prophesying. He was like, I was like, we got this conference. Do you have any suggestions for speakers? And he said, I think of two people, Sarah Yang and Benjamin Robinson. I was like, oh, okay. Are you good friends with them? He's like, yeah, I'm really good friends with Benjamin Robinson. <laughs> Now, anyway, anyway he, he let me know those names, and I went back to Korea, and I contacted both of them, and they ended up both saying yes. And when they came to Korea, I was, I was just praying. I actually was just praying. I wasn't thinking of Pastor Benjamin as a spiritual father or anything. I was just thinking of him as a retreat speaker, actually. But when I hung out with him and spent time with him, Holy Spirit was moving. Holy Spirit was just moving. And he sounds so intellectual, you know. I was attracted to that. I was like, oh, man, he, he sounds more educated, more academic. I can learn from this man. But not only that, there was like a precision to his prophetic word, to the revelation, to the teachings he would just kind of break down and give me. And so he got my attention. And then when he ministered at the Niagara Conference, along with Pastor Sonny, it was just powerful. So powerful. And so I started to ask the Lord, Lord, is this my spiritual father? Do you want me to be in submission to this man? And so it took another couple months after the conference. And then finally, I called him up. And I said, I don't know how you feel about this. I don't know if anyone's ever done this to you. But, you know, I was like, I don't know how this is going to look. Actually, I do know how this is going to look. You're not going to touch these areas of my life. (laughs) You're just going to give me more sermon content. No, I mean... I was, I was scared. Actually, I was, I was, I was hecka scared. But I just felt like I, I knew that I could not continue with my ministry at, or with my marriage without a, authority, a voice of authority speaking into my life. Because I know I'm a very goal-oriented, I'm a very um, driven man. And without an authoritative voice in my life, I, I knew that I would just, I would just drive this car off the road one day with all my sons and daughters in it and so I just, off, I just submitted to him and, and Pastor ben, Benjamin said the Lord's been already speaking to me about that <laughs> Christian I'm so excited that you've called me And on that phone conversation, he actually told me, I'm going to fly out to Korea. Because I feel like we, I just need to establish this relationship. You know, he was right on. That was a prophetic word. If he didn't fly out to Korea the next month, I'm pretty sure that I would have just been like, ah, this is nothing. And I was just kind of faded out. But he came to Korea, and it just got established. And he also tried to slip in one of the first words that we disagreed on, on during that trip. It was about seminary. You know how I know that he tried to slip that in? Because I had recorded the whole conversation by accident. <laughs> I recorded by accident. Joe O came over, and we're just talking. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord started moving on him. And he's like, he's like, but you know, you should think about seminary. I think it would open up more doors for you and all this stuff. And, and I didn't hear any of it. <laughs> on that day, I don't remember him saying any of that. But what happened was in February, I made a trip out to San Francisco 
And then, and then he prophesied. He pretty much was like, I pray for you. And I just feel like sons get an inheritance. And, and, and I feel like there is an inheritance for you there at that Korean church you're at. But you've got to honor the wishes of the senior pastor there. If he wants you to go to seminary, I think there's a blessing for you in that. And, and I disagreed. I said, no, the Lord spoke to me. I just feel, but I didn't say anything. I knew that, that that was like the first issue God wanted me to submit to. And so I submitted and I re-enrolled in seminary. I re-enrolled and that was a blessing. And that's when I listened to that audio recording and I realized, oh, Pastor Benjamin was already speaking to me about that. In December, I just didn't pick it up. It's a supernatural shepherding, a supernatural fathering that takes place, especially when you have an anointed spiritual father who knows how to listen to the voice of the Lord. It's a big, big plus. Oftentimes, ministers who walk in the orphan spirit, they make themselves vulnerable to all kinds of character immorality issues. And when they are not dealt with, their ministries do not last one generation. Even if they desire to pass it down to somebody else, it's not going to last because they have too many vulnerabilities that Satan can take advantage of. If you want a multi-generational ministry, a multi-generational company that glorifies a multi-generational God, that all of us in here, we got to learn how to humble ourselves and walk in the spirit of sonship to a spiritual father you trust. Or in the business realm, to some kind of mentor that you feel like you really want to learn from. King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, after he saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get delivered from the fire, he said this. He said, God, he's talking about the God of the Hebrews. He said, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. You know, God is building and advancing a kingdom on this earth. A kingdom that endures from generation to generation. God doesn't want to just see waves of revival die out within one generation. He wants to see that revival stewarded and passed down to the next generation. The Bible says we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Your identity as a son of the Most High God means that you have a rich, you have access to a rich inheritance. But you don't access that rich inheritance just through like fasting and prayer in your prayer closet. It gets released to you through relationship. Through covenant relationship. But in order for you to access that inheritance, you got to be willing to Submit and to honor those who've gone before you. And to submit yourself under the covering of a spiritual father. And learn from him. And receive impartation. And receive your inheritance from that man. That's why I really admire PB. Pastor Benjamin, he really knows how to honor Pastor Robert Daniels. I'll be honest right now. I need to learn how to honor Pastor Benjamin more. Because <laughs> my wife knows. Uh, I'm, I, just, I just speak my mind sometimes. And then, and then my wife would get all upset. I'd be like, what, what's wrong, honey? And she'd be like, that's not honoring to Pat PB. You know, I, I'll just be real here. Not, my mouth gets me in trouble for a lot of things. And I don't, I don't honor PB quite the way that PB honors Pastor Robert Daniels. And so when I spend time, whenever I spend time with PB, that's one thing I learned. Is I, 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 I long to speak 
and to honor my spiritual father like he honors his spiritual father. Because life flows through honor. It doesn't, fall, it doesn't flow through criticism or through complaining. <laughs> Ain't no life flows when you complain. Life flows through honor. And even when PB is honest, and he's honest about his impressions and opinions of Pastor Daniels, it's still always covered in honor. PB walks in a spirit of sonship before God and before Pastor Daniels that I believe really pleases the heart of God. And in the spirit, PB is receiving a rich inheritance. And he's learning how to steward it. This is a very rich man. He is a wealthy man. You know, when I look at our lineage, and when I, when I say lineage, I mean uh, the lineage. <laughs> the, fa- the family relationships, the covenant relationships between uh, apostolic pastors that are in our church family. You know, and so uh, the first person to walk in sonship that we I know of is Pastor Kirby Clements, who's actually going to be here this weekend. So this is very exciting. You know, God loves me so much. You see this? He brought Pastor Kirby on the same weekend that I'm here preaching. Come on. Dr. Kirby. And we're going to get a group picture too. And there's going to be one person in that picture that is not like the others. <laughs> But it's okay. God sees the heart. <laughs> and in the heart, it, I look the same. <laughs> um, so Pastor Kirby, I believe he represents Isaac, the first generation. And under him, we have Pastor Robert Daniels, who represents the double portion, that second generation, who's taken the teachings of Dr. Clemens, who, who Dr. Clemens received from his spiritual father. You know, and he's stewarding that. And on the outside... Their ministries may not look that impressive. But do not be deceived. These are men that are rich. That can dispense a rich inheritance. And although their ministries may not look impressive on the outside. They are carrying big dreams. Big dreams of God. Huge prophecies. That if they continue to believe it. They have a hard time believing it because they don't quite see it the same way that they thought they would see it. But here's the thing with God. When he gives dreams, he gives big dreams. And those dreams are so big, it cannot be fulfilled in one generation. Think about Abraham. He just died with one son. God said, your descendants will be like the sand on the shore. You will be a father of many nations. And Abraham, if I was Abraham, when I'm dying, I'm <coughs> God, you sold me out. What's up? I got one son. And then some other son that, you know, come on, Lord. I would not think, I would not have died believing that God fulfilled the dream. I just feel like God just set me up. But Abraham died, the Bible says, having faith that God did fulfill and will fulfill. The promises that he has spoken. 
In fact, I mean, God made it explicit. He told Abraham that your future generations will go into a land they do not know. They will be enslaved and mistreated there. And at the appointed time, they will be brought back to the land of Canaan and possess it. For the, for the sins, the iniquities of the Amorites have not reached their completion. It's crazy, right? I don't know what that last part means, right? It's crazy. Under Pastor Daniels, we have Pastor Benjamin Israel Robinson. Who I believe represents the third generation. Well, in my perspective, he represents the third generation. Where previous spiritual fathers, they heard the promise. And they patiently believed God for its fulfillment. And they saw some addition going on. The third generation is ordained by God to see the multiplication. They are to reap the fruit, the seeds that have been sown by the previous fathers that have believed God. It seems not fair, but it's just the way God God functions. The teachings, the anointings, the way of life that Pastor Clements, Dr. Clements and Pastor Daniel stewarded, they are passing that down to Pastor Benjamin. And it is resulting in multiplication already. But there's more to come. And then... (laughs) There is the fourth generation. Actually, I've heard a message about the third generation. But the Lord highlighted that there's actually another message called the fourth generation. So that's the title of my sermon tonight. The fourth generation. As an apostolic leader, pastor in the body of Christ, what I did not realize when I came into covenant relationship with Pastor Benjamin was that God was grafting me into a lineage and... He grafted me into this lineage because God didn't want me to start from scratch. But he wanted my wife and I to experience the incredible blessing of being the fourth generation of a powerful lineage. My heart is filled with thanksgiving as I really think about this. You know, in one sense, I believe there's such a like calling on my life, and there's an anointing on my life, that New Philly would have, would have multiplied, and we've seen a lot, we would have seen a lot of growth either way, whether I came into a covenant with the spiritual father or not. But the difference is, I don't know if I would have been able to continue and steward it, to steward it well, and to steward it with character, and steward it with a depth of relationship with God, intimacy with God, if I didn't have the covering. I might have blown up, but I would have also blown up. <laughs> You know what I mean? (laughs) But now that I have this covering of a loving, strong-minded, wonderfully gifted spiritual father and mother, I know that this is not going to be short-lived. And when I'm thinking, I'm thinking multi-generational myself. You see, when the 12 sons of Jacob, when the 12 sons of Israel, they moved to Egypt 
From this point forth in the Bible, the Bible does not repeat the names of the fourth generation of Israel's descendants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this is partly because from the third generation onward, there were just too many names to try to keep track of. God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Enosh, and, 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 and I can't think of any names. All right. There's just too many names to keep track of, right? But it's, 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 you also have to take note in your mind that from this point on, the generations that succeeded, they're all just fourth generation. Isn't that weird? I'll read from Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt, and they're explicitly named, who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Jebelin, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, the descendants of Jacob, number 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. Those are the 12 sons. And verse 6 says, Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died that's the third generation seven oh i'm sorry that's the superscript i'm sorry uh now (laughs) joseph and all his brothers what was that now joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died but the israelites in that fourth generation they were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them oh come on You see, the first generation saw the genesis of God's promise. The second generation saw the the double portion, that addition. The third generation saw a multiplication. Let me talk to you about the fourth generation. The fourth generation experienced what mathematicians call the exponential increase. They went from a family of 12 sons and a total of 70 people at that time. And when that generation died out, they went to millions. That's a lot of babies. That's a lot of babies. How do you go from 12 sons to millions? Within just a few hundred years. How, how does that happen? That's called exponential increase. And I believe this is a prophetic key. It's talking about the fourth generation. The significance of the fourth generation I believe this is a prophetic key to understanding how God blesses the church and how he moves in the world. Uh, Wikipedia defines exponential growth like this. It says, exponential growth occurs when the growth rate of the value of a mathematical function is proportional to the function's current value. Okay. So what does that mean? (laughs) Although it starts out in the beginning slower than both linear and cubic growth, so if you look at a graph, like linear growth is just a straight line, and it, and it just looks good because it's increasing fast. And then cubic growth is also increasing fast. But then the exponential growth, it's like this long, like it looks like it's not growing at all. But then eventually, it just shoots up. So then in the long run, exponential growth far surpasses both linear and cubic growth. So to illustrate the rapid rate of growth that exponential increase brings, there's a story I like to share. It's uh, according to an old legend. There's like different countries that have a very similar legend. I'm going to go with the Indian one. (laughs) Vizier Ben Dahir presented an Indian king one day with a beautiful handmade chessboard. And the king asked, 
What would you like in return for this amazing gift? And the king was surprised by the guy's answer. The guy said, give me one grain of rice on the first square, two grains on the second, four grains on the third, and etc. That will be my reward. The king agreed delightfully, and he had some rice brought in, and he had some of his servants brought in. And all went, went well at first, but then when they got to the 21st square, they, re- they, they realized that, re- that the 21st square required over a million grain, grains of rice. And by the time they got to the 41st square, it required over a trillion grains of rice. So what looked like something very humble, one to two to four to eight, as it went on, Generation after generation. This king realized, I don't, there is not enough rice in the world to fill up all the squares on the chessboard. How many squares are there on the chessboard? It's 64, right? Yeah, 64. <laughs> I looked at the number of grains of rice that were required to fill up all 64 squares in this kind of way. And I don't, I don't know what adjectives, what, what number adjectives you're supposed to use. It's like, it's like trillion, trillion. It was like crazy. Anyway, it's a lot of rice. So that, that illustrates exponential growth. In Genesis 15, verse 16, God gives Abraham a promise. And he says this. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. In the fourth generation, your descendants will return to the promised land. Isn't that powerful? In God's mind, when there's a fourth generation, that fourth generation experiences exponential increase. This is why the devil attacks. He attacks families. He attacks churches. He attacks relationships. Why? Because if he can just stop you from getting to the fourth generation, he got nothing to worry about. In fact, most churches, they don't even get past the first generation. What's happening with the Korean church right now? They can't get past the first generation. You know, I love my, I love my home country, Korea, right? I'm a U.S. citizen, but you know, I, I was born in Korea. I love Korea. I love living there. I really honor the culture of Korea. There's a lot of good things about Korea, although there's also things that we can complain about. But I honor the Korean culture. There's a lot of great things in the Korean church history. But one thing I want to say to you, don't believe the hype. Korea might be like one of the biggest mission-sending countries in the world, but they're not doing that well. There are mega churches of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and apparently, Pastor Yonggi Cho's church is supposed to be the world's largest, which I personally have a hard time believing. But I'm going to honor the man. I'm just let him keep that title because nobody else wants to claim it right now. But when I go to his church, I don't see, I don't see that many people. I think he's counting in a, in a different way. But exponentially counting. <laughs> but anyway, they might have these mega churches, but don't be deceived. Don't believe the hype. The Korean church right now, they are struggling to reach the next generation. 
So you go to church like Onuri, right? There's one of the big mega churches there. Their adult congregation, I don't know how many they have, maybe 12,000, 15,000, something real big. Uh, Sarang Church, huge, you know, 20, 25,000. But if you look at the young adult ministry, it's like 500. Is somebody not doing the math? They got 12,000 people worshiping on Sunday. And in the young adult congregation, people aged 18 to 28, whatever, they only have 400, 500 people. They're not reaching the next generation. And I think, I think sonship really needs to go into the Korean church. Because the Confucian culture is uh, too much. We have too much of Confucius rather than Christ. And, it, and, it's, and it's killing the church. It's not able to reproduce itself. So Satan attacks. He attacks. And that's happening also with, you know, white churches. Let's, let's be real, right? Yeah. A lot of denominational churches are not able to reproduce right now. Yeah. So now they're just dying out. Yeah. Their buildings are emptying out. Yeah. I remember when I was in, living in New Jersey, we had a Korean English ministry. We merged with a white church. And people were celebrating like, oh, it's a picture of multi-ethnic diversity <laughs> And this is what the church looks like. It's multicultural. When we get to heaven, everyone's going to be black and white and Asian and Indian. You know, this is what the church is supposed to look like. They plotted it. But the real story was the English ministry of the Korean church, they were bailing out this old, dying white church that at one point had hundreds of people, like 300 people. But because they were not able to reach the next generation, yeah. Satan had attacked them. They were not able to reproduce themselves. It was literally a congregation of about 20, 25 people over the age of 80. And when our EM pastor took over the merge, right away he was just doing funeral after funeral after funeral. And I know there's a couple more examples in L.A. that they're they're celebrating that right now. But let's be real. That's not a great model for church growth. The best model for church growth is, is, is sonship, yeah. is inheritance, yeah. is learning how to pass down and disciple the next generation. Yeah, 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 yeah. God is a multi-generational God. Yeah. He doesn't want you to live in the good old days that have gone by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Al Bundy thinking about all the high school football days and all the glory days. No, God wants you to live in the glory days. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the first. God's increasing His glory on the earth. Not making us reminisce about what He used to do. See, the third generation had 12. 12 sons. Well, 12 is a significant number in the Bible. How many apostles did Jesus appoint? 12. One of them betrayed Him. But still, He appointed 12. 12 is a symbol for apostolic authority. 12 is a governing symbol, uh, a number that symbolizes governing authority and anointing in the Bible. And so it's really significant. I believe what's happening right now in the, in the generation we're living in is God is restoring apostolic leaders. Number 12. That's the third generation. And as apostolic leaders take their place, the fourth generation, the generation that's being discipled by these apostolic leaders, they're going to see exponential increase. We're going to see 
billion soul harvests coming in. You know, I did, I did the math one time. I think I mentioned it here. On the day of Pentecost, 120 people prayed, got baptized by the Spirit, and 3,000 people got saved. If you look at some uh, estimates, some estimates say that in the world right now, there are like 2 billion Christians. But if you remove the Jehovah Witnesses and the Warrens that got stuck in there, you might, ha- you might have like 1 billion, right? And out of that 1 billion, you take out all of the, back, uh, the, um, the false converts, the people that are uh, like Judas, Judases, right? You take them all out. Let's say, let's be conservative. Let's say only 10% of that 1 billion is actually Christian, born-again Christian. You have 100 million left, right? And then... This is a, a statistic from 2001. So let's say since 2001, the church grew a little bit. Let's say 20 million more got added. Let's say we got 120 million Christians on the earth right now. Here it is. If 120 million Christians get baptized by the Spirit, if 120 got baptized by the Spirit and 3,000 got saved, if 120 million will get baptized by the Spirit today, we're talking billions of people getting saved. So this is just my theory. There's no biblical backing for this. <laughs> but I believe as a, as a church learns to be discipled under apostolic leaders, as apostolic leaders take their place, that third generation, that 12 generation, the apostolic generation, they take their place, the fourth generation, they're going to experience such an exponential increase that there are going to be billions of people on the earth that love Jesus Amen. passionately, Amen. that are walking in purity and victory. That Jesus is going to look around heaven and be like, there's more people down there. I need to get down there right now. And Jesus will return. Clouds of glory. Once again, there's no biblical bag for that. This is my own personal theory. I thought it's cute. I want to to address the Korean Americans for a second. Korean Americans, if you notice here in America, you have very little influence. You know? We don't have much influence in government, entertainment. Movies, we have Lee Byung-hun doing G.I. Joe. <laughs> oh, wow, you know? Not much influence. But that's because for America, Koreans are just getting through the second generation. Wow. And some places like Hawaii, there's third generation, things like that. Most places, Korean community, immigrant community is just reaching the second generation. Yeah. I'll tell you, but as Koreans live, continue to live here in America to the fourth generation... Wow. I believe one day you're going to see Korean newscasters, Korean actors and actresses, Korean entertain actors and actresses, Korean American idol judges. Come on. Because that there's that exponential growth in the fourth generation. How do I know this? You look at African Americans. Even though they were in slavery for part of their generations, they've been here for so many generations. They're up to the fourth generation already. They have an easy time infiltrating entertainment, government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have the first black president. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Koreans, they're thinking, we're never going to have a Korean president. <laughs> but don't, no, maybe in the fourth generation, later on down the, down the line, as we learn to live here in America, you might one day see a tight-eyed Asian <laughs> as the president of the United States of America. I can say that because I'm, I'm Asian. <laughs> you know, you, you never heard of the tight-eyed jokes? Like, tight-eyed? You know, why, you know why Asians have small eyes? Because every day they go, Not rice again. <laughs> Never heard that joke? All right, anyway. Uh, 
Now, what's what? I'm gonna I'm gonna close with some of this, and we want to pray for some people. But I'm gonna close with this. In the world around us, even in the world around us, there's four generations rising up. So, Intel just came out with the fourth generation of their processors. Right? They say it just came out in June. Fifty percent increase in battery life equates to nine hours on your laptops. Two to three times improvement in standby time. The managing director of sales and marketing said, the fourth generation Intel Core processors offered the most significant gain in battery life ever achieved by Intel. It's two times faster than a similar computer four year, from four years ago. 15% faster than the previous generation. They wake up faster. They're faster at everyday tasks. Apple's new MacBook Airs that came out in June, they have the new fourth generation processors. Sounds like I'm working for Apple, though. <laughs> Intel's got the fourth generation. Look on, your, look on some of your phones. Except for the people who got them ghetto old phones, right? A lot of people who got new phones. What do you see on there? 4G network. 4G. We're on the fourth generation. Even, even the uh, internet bandwidth, right? We're at that fourth generation. You know, about 10 years ago, I was, in, I was into internet. I was into computer programming. 10 years ago, the bandwidth, wireless bandwidth, at this speed was unthinkable. Like you just couldn't stream a YouTube video through a cell phone. It was like, it was like really grainy, tiny little window. You couldn't even make it out if it's a person or not. But now you got like HD video coming through. Well, at least in Korea we got it. (laughs) AT&T, you need to work on your network here. (laughs) Verizon, you need to step it up a little more. But 4G, right? I don't have time to look up more examples. But anyway, there's two examples. So. Fourth generation. Sonship is important because when the church can learn to walk in the spirit of sonship up to the fourth generation, there's like a tipping point in which God pours out his spirit. We see exponential increase. When a people of God learn to steward the things of God from generation to generation, there's exponential increase. But when you refuse covering, and you want to walk in an orphan spirit, you cut yourself off from your inheritance and the exponential growth that God wants to release into your life. And I believe our lineage here is at a tipping point because we are at the fourth generation. You know, right now at New Philly, we're going crazy. We've done two church plants already. So we got our main campus in the city of Seoul. And we did, a, we did a church plant in Itaewon. We started out in a bar called King Bar. It's like this cigarette-smelling bar. We started our church there. Anyway, they're going strong. We have about 90 people coming out every week. After uh, three years, they're at 90. And then we have another church we planted in another city in Korea called Busan. And that church is doing well. And then right now, we're in the process of building up a covenant community in Sydney, Australia, to do our first international church plant. This is a little secret. We, we call this punching. We punched about 11 of our New Philly leaders. And we told them, pray about moving down to Australia for two and a half years. Give up the years of your youth to build the house of God. We challenged 11 people. We punched 11 people to pray into it. Nine people said yes. I was only looking for seven. So I might have to say no to a couple of them. That's a good problem to have. Yeah. 
And then we have uh, a team of uh, Aussie leaders in Sydney. They're Aussie kids. And they're gathering and they're, and they're um, ministering to unchurched and reaching out to non-believers. Yeah. And they're already seeing fruit. Yeah. Don't tell anyone this, but there's like a, like Australia's most, one of the most famous violinists in Australia is coming to New Philly in Sydney right now. She just, she just got filled with the Holy Spirit. She is just on fire for Jesus right now. We're saying this, this like, it's easy for New Philly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not like, why is it so easy? I was talking to people. I was like, how come, how come it's so easy for me? <laughs> I've been in seminary for the last, you know, three years because of you. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing. It's because of God. The Lord, the Lord called me, and I'm there because of him. But I'm, I'm in seminary. I'm racking out my brain. I don't, I can't, I'm not doing, I'm really, honestly, honestly. I haven't been leading my church very well right now. Like, like not, not very well. I haven't been really doing anything for my church. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I'll make a few decisions. But, like, a lot of times, like, I'm just lazy. I'll be honest. It's not my diligence that's causing the church growth. It's not my diligence and my perfectionism or something that's helping the church plants do so well. It's God's grace. Amen. There's this incredible grace. But I believe one of the reasons why we're experiencing such ease and such grace. You know, my wife and I, we just came through a miscarriage from February until April. It was like a torturous time, difficult time. Felt like all of the prayers I prayed were falling to the ground. We're doing an office building search. And that was painful as well. It was happening at the same time as the miscarriage. During that time, I didn't do nothing. Even when I had to go up and preach, like, it was just so difficult. But still, the church kept growing. Yeah. And our Sydney church plant just kept moving forward. Yeah. And actually today, we, we, I challenged uh, New Philly. You got you to gotta keep this tight-lipped, all right? <laughs> Wait, is this going on the podcast? Maybe I shouldn't even say this. But, but anyway, I, no, I want you all to celebrate with me. The core leaders of New Philly, we challenged a married couple to be the campus pastors down in Sydney, Australia. And today I talked to them and they said yes. So we got up to nine New Philly leaders we're going to send down there. We got our campus pastors set. We got the Sydney team growing. Sydney communities growing. It's God's grace. I believe really one of the reasons why it's so awesome, like so gracious why there's such a multiplication of grace on our ministry is because we represent that fourth generation we're taking the things that dr kirby passed down to pastor daniels passed down to pastor benjamin and then i was so busy i didn't listen to all the messages but pastor aaron listened to it (laughs) and made sure i got it (laughs) my wife is an amazing communicator it was amazing i like, if I want a summary of PB's messages, I just ask her, and she will do every main point. It's amazing. But I still need to listen to directly the messages. New Phillies represent the fourth generation. As I realize that, man, I'm getting excited. I'm excited. We, we, we must grow. We must be fruitful. But check this out. Living Hope, you are the fourth generation. You may not all be pastors, 
But you know what? I'm just a son just like you. And mature sons, they're powerful. When they have kingdom authority, they know how to move in the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing's impossible for them. You're the fourth generation living hope. And there's explosive growth. Explosive growth that is coming. So continue to steward your inheritance. Continue to worship God with all your heart. For he is the God whose dominion endures from generation to generation. Amen? Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask my team to uh, come up. And I'm going to ask everyone just close your eyes. I want to take a moment just to uh, pray for some people. Yeah. Our God is the God whose dominion endures from generation to generation. If there is strife in your workplace amongst your relationships... You cannot allow Satan just to have his way. If there's strife in your family relationships, you must refuse to let that continue. See, God is all about love. God is all about inheritance and all those things. You can't receive without being in right relationship with God and with people. The kingdom does advance through relationships. Our new Philly team, we just came from Las Vegas. And it was powerful. But the most powerful ministry that the Las Vegas young people said, when we asked them, what's the highlight of of your weekend? They didn't say it was Pastor Christian's altar call or Pastor Christian's uh, preaching. They said it was a time that we spent at at your house, at the house that we were staying at, just sharing and praying and fellowshipping with you. Just eating and laughing. God was just speaking to me during that time. It was more powerful than a sermon because it came through love. It came through a connection, a relational connection. And Satan is constantly trying to attack your relationships in your workplace, in your family, in the, in the church in order to cut you off from your inheritance, in order to keep you from going to that second generation, to that third generation, to that fourth generation. So tonight, I just want to um, pray for people. If you feel like there's some strife in your relationships, you've been having a hard time seeing breakthrough in that area, and you want to just receive prayer. If your heart is hard, and your heart is stuck in unforgiveness, and you want to receive prayer, you want to receive God's grace to get some breakthrough in that area, so you can start seeing restoration, restoration in relationships. I want you to stand up to your feet and we'll pray for you. You want to see restoration in your relationships. There's strife going on around you. We want to pray for you here tonight. We want to pray for you. Our God is a multi-generational God. Multi-generational God. He's a multi-generational God. 
right, for the uh, eight people that are standing up, I just want to invite you to come here to the front, and we'll have our team members who will pray for you and pray with you. Why don't you guys go ahead and just make your way here to the front. Don't be afraid. Pray for you, pray with you. Team members. Come on, come on. Team, let's just start praying for them, praying for each of them. Yeah, let's pray with them. Have them share if, if, if you feel like you want to. When you have them share first, let's pray. who are seated, what I want to ask you to do, for those who are seated, what I want to ask you to do is, I want you to, I want you to go up to someone, whether you know them or not, that represents the older generation, and if you're, if you're, if you're the older generation, just wait till somebody comes to you, (laughs) but go up to someone who's older than you, who you know that's 10 years, 15 years older than you. And I want, you to, I want you to honor them and ask them for a prayer of blessing. That you will receive blessing in life through their prayers. Alright, so all the young people, if you're age 
35 and under, I want you to stand up. Age 35 and under. And I want you to go and receive a prayer blessing as you honor someone who's gone before you. All right, just don't be afraid. Just go. God's going to release a blessing through this prayer. It's going to put you in a pattern of honoring those who've gone before you. Yeah. multi-generational God whose dominion endures from generation to generation pour out your grace pour out your power Lord pour out your blessing As you guys wrap up, I want to ask everyone at this time, I want us to just take a uh, moment. I want us to cry out for the young generation. Because right now, if the churches are really facing the music, they will tell you that they are not reaching the young generation. It's not just a Korea problem. We know that it's happening here in America. There's a popular article on Christianity Today where one, when, where one reporter, one journalist... She coined the term silent exodus. That's what's been happening. 
some 90 to 95 percent of young people that grew up in church, when they get to college, they leave the church and they're never to be seen again. This is a multi-generational problem. This is a, this is a core issue that the church is dealing with right now. And we need God's grace. We need God's spirit. We need his wisdom. We need pastors that are not serving from a career mentality. We need, we need to stop having career-oriented pastors and ha- start having pastors that have a father's heart. Pastors that are willing to really lay down li- their life for their sheep, to really love on their sheep. And so we need to really pr- pray and cry out right now because the young generation, we're losing the young generation. And this does not have to be. One, one thing I can tell you about New Philly is, New Philly is evidence that young people want Jesus. They want Jesus. And when they find the real thing, and they find the substance of life-giving ministry, they take it and they don't let go. They give up the years of their youth to move to Australia to do a church plan. Young people, it's not that they're disinterested in Jesus. It's just that the church is not providing that sonship and that, and that love and the, and the care that they need, the substance of God's power that they want to see. And so they're turning to drugs. They're turning to sex. But we need to start calling them back. And we need to start praying for God to renew the church. So I want to take this time. Let's cry out for the young generation. Let's pray pray for the young adults that God will begin to bring them back. Bring them back. And gather them into the churches again. Come on. let's pray for our college campuses let's pray for our university campuses because this is where many young people they are fed all kinds of lies in the liberal campuses that causes them to never even consider coming back we need college ministries to be strong at this hour and so there's ministries like campus crusade there's inner varsity navigators uh, but the truth is i used to be on staff with campus crusade for seven years Campus Crusade is really struggling right now. They're struggling to reach college students. 
And so at some campuses, their ministry only has about three or five students. Other campuses, they may have a, a thousand students, but other liberal campuses, they only have about three to five students. So other than the Bible Belt, Campus Crusade is really struggling right now. In New York City, they were just not even making a dent. Really struggling. And so what we need to pray is renewal for the current college ministries. Because I believe God really loves them and God wants to see them really be renewed and, and to do ministry with the power of the Spirit. And then also pray that new college ministries be raised up at this hour as well. That they will raise up a new st- standard and that they would influence the current college ministries to do ministry in a more impactful way. And one, one thing you can pray for for New Philly is we have a college ministry called Emmaus Campus Ministry. And it's impacting the lives of many college students. Actually, half of our team is involved with Emmaus Campus Ministry. And so we want to see ministries like Emmaus being raised up. New college ministries that have the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's Word. So I want to pray for the college campus right now. That's a key area to pray for. Let's pray for that right now. Come on. Pray for the universities.
since there's breakthrough in the atmosphere. Come on, we're just going to linger for one more minute. Just stretch out your hands and open up your mouth and just push into the next level right now. There's another level of breakthrough. There's another level of victory. There's stuff that's been lingering on your life that's breaking off of your life right now. Stuff that you've carried. Stuff that you've carried. Stuff that is stuff that has crept through the generations. There's stuff that has crept through the generations that's come down through your bloodline. But we break it off right now in the name of Jesus. We declare breakthrough right now in Jesus' name. There's another level of victory right now. There's another level. Come on, come on. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Mighty God, breakthrough right now. Breakthrough right now. Breakthrough right now. Breakthrough right now. Breakthrough. There's a new anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's a new anointing of victory right now. Come on, get a hold of it. Thank you for it, God. 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 Come on, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. It's breaking off your life. Not just what you're breaking out of, but what you're breaking into. You're breaking into another level of power. You're breaking into another level of anointing. You're breaking into another level of victory. You're breaking into another level of knowledge. Another level of wisdom. Another level of understanding. Another level, another level, another level. Another level, another level. Yes, 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 yes. 
yes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We thank you for it, God. We thank you for it, God. We're talking 4G anointing, not 3G anointing. Everything that came before us belongs to us, and we're building upon it. Everything that was spoken in every generation before us, it has come down to us, and we build upon it. We build it. We possess everything that God has done, every move of the Spirit of God, every outpouring of revival. It belongs to us. Everything that God revealed, everything that God revealed, the revealed things belong to us and to our children. They belong to us. Hallelujah. 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 There's breakthrough right now. There's breakthrough right now. Father, just begin to pour out revival. God, we lay down our time clocks. We put down our clocks, Lord, our timetables, our schedules, our expectation of when we're going to start and when we're going to finish. We turn that over to you, Holy Spirit. We surrender all. We said, Lord, I want to see outpourings of the Holy Spirit that keep us up all night long. It's the Holy Ghost in fire, and it's keeping me alive. It's keeping me alive. It's keeping me alive. It's the Holy Ghost in fire, and it's keeping me alive. Jesus is keeping me alive. It's all over me, and it's keeping me alive. Come on. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Pour it out right now, God. Pour it out right now, God. Pour it out. There's another wave of the Holy Spirit that's coming right now. Another wave of the Holy Spirit that's coming right now. Another wave of the Holy Spirit. Just receive it right now. Receive the anointing right now. Receive the anointing right now. Receive victory right now. Receive poder in the name of Jesus Christ. Receive In Jesus' name, take it right now. Just begin to say, God, I receive. I receive. I receive. I receive. I receive. I receive. There's an impartation right now. I just feel it in the spirit. Something's being released right now into the atmosphere. God, we take it. We receive 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 it. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Listen, I know it's late, and honestly, I don't care. Because I sense the presence of God right now. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close the service because some of you do have to go, and we honor that, we respect that. But we're opening up the altar right now for people who are just hungry for God. You're hungry for God? I just feel there's an anointing for the laying on of hands. I just want you to come to the altar. If you just hunger for God, you didn't get prayer yet. Maybe you already did, but you need more. We're just opening up the altars now. New Philly prayer team, lay hands. Pastors Christian and Aaron, lay hands. Living Hope pastors, lay hands. Lay pastors, associate pastors, lay hands. I believe the Holy Spirit is just getting started tonight. The service is closed. If you got to go, you can go. Those of you who are coming to the altar, come up closer. Come up closer because other people are coming in behind you. There's an anointing for the laying on of hands. 